Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Beyond the Couch with Bridges Mental Health. Today, we're going to be talking a bit about each of our own racial, cultural, ethnic identities, just to give a bit of background on who the three of us are, because we haven't formally introduced ourselves. And as we're talking a lot about identity and mental health and bringing our own stuff into it, we wanted to share a little bit more about where we're each coming from. I am excited to hear about both of your own histories and how you view your identity and how that kind of intersects with Bridges and the stuff that we're talking about each week. So I can start. Yeah, go for it, Christy. Yeah. Okay. Well, when I think about my identity, I think about it as a Korean American woman. And a big part of how I understand that is my parents are both from Korea, born there, but they immigrated to North America before they were the age of seven. And so that's a huge part of how American I kind of feel sometimes, how I reckoned with my being Asian and being fully Korean while growing up in mostly like white space when I was very young. Growing up, I was in Chicago around mostly white friends. There was maybe one or one and a half sort of other Asian kids at my school. But then on the weekends, we were very involved with our church community, which was mostly Korean or Asian in the suburbs of Chicago. And so that was a big part of how split my identity felt. Whenever we had my friends over from school, they would uh, remark on different foods that we ate or our house looking different. And I always felt a little off, I think. And then we moved to California when I was about 10. And then suddenly I was in the midst of everyone being Asian and everyone loving bubble tea and loving H Mart. And I was so (laughs) freaked out because I had just learned that I was so different. And if I could repress how different I was and just shop at the same places that my friends did and enjoy the same foods and just act like they did, it would kind of falsely, but pretends like I was similar to them. Um, And then suddenly everyone is Asian and I had a tough time with it. And I kind of would internally like separate myself from the other Asian folks as if I was different from them. And then I think being an Asian woman now as an adult and as a professional, it's helped me see all of the dimensions of what I've grown up with. And especially working with a lot of folks who are children of immigrants themselves, I feel like I have a lot of implicit understanding of what they're experiencing, but also a bit of detachment because my parents were so young when they immigrated. And so they might've had a similar experience to a lot of my clients. And I might be like one filter or one generation removed from that. That's so interesting. And Mm -hmm. thanks for sharing it. I don't think I knew that about you. We haven't really sat down to talk about this together either. Which So this is like a really great episode. I didn't realize that your parents were so young when they came to this country. So I'm curious, did you grow up speaking Korean in the house sometimes? Was it at church that you heard it? Like, what was your sort of experience with that? Yeah, it was mostly small phrases that we would say, like you would say to a child, like brush your teeth or like clean um, clean your dishes <laughs> or eat a lot. Like there's, those phrases would be throughout my household or when my parents wanted to say something to each other, they would speak in Korean and not have my me and my brothers clued into it. 
Otherwise, it would be like when we visited family and then we would speak Korean. Mm -hmm. But even with my family, they would try to speak a lot of English and their English was pretty workable, at least on my dad's side, who is in in Illinois with us. And so there wasn't a lot of Korean spoken. There's now even as a professional who's working with a lot of Korean clients, I feel a little of my own stuff. I wish that I knew more about the language or more about the concepts and the phrases that people might be bringing in because there's so much beauty in the words of the Korean language and concepts that we have no idea how to actually express in English. And so as I'm learning more from my mom and asking more about certain phrases or how something feels or what I'll remember some word that someone brought up and she so kindly wrote like a whole list of different Korean phrases for me to kind of learn and get a sense of too. But there is a bit of that disconnect there. And seeing my parents speak in Korean with their family, my mom is probably more skilled at it. And my dad maybe still speaks like an elementary school student Korean. So there is that much more of a separation that I wish that I did have more skill in. We tried taking, I think, Korean classes or Korean tutoring um, when we were very young, but we didn't really sustain that. Christy, I appreciate too. I also didn't know necessarily, I knew you moved from Illinois to California just because I know that's where some of your family members live now, but it's really interesting to me to hear how that transition from being in a totally white space to being in a very Asian identified space, how that transition was actually a tough one for you. Because I think some people might hear that and assume that, oh great, you know, she's moving to a place where there's more community or perhaps more Asian identified folks in her classes. And, and it was interesting and kind of stood out to me that you said it was actually a really hard thing. Yeah, it felt like some part of me that I had, you know, just segmented away or tried to suppress or ignore as much as I could have just was suddenly so acceptable and actually celebrated. And I did not take to it very quickly. It was very challenging. And I think a lot of it was internal. I don't think that I really talked about it or processed through it with other people is just kind of observing how my friends would just speak so comfortably about their own cultural celebrations or traditions or how they like made pop culture references that I was squeamish about even talking about like k-pop for example felt so weird to me you all like this stuff this is not stuff that I've ever heard other kids liking and I think it's taken a long time for me to still be processing and reckoning with how I view my identity as a part of me instead of this major part that I was trying to hide or deny in some way. I imagine that a lot of people here feel similarly. People who live in New York, who have moved here later in life, suddenly finding themselves surrounded by a lot of Asian, Asian Americans who are very comfortable in their identity, you know, they might feel that in coming to this city. So I think it's great to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> Sam is raising your hand. <laughs> this is an audio podcast. I realized after I did that, no one can see that, but I raised my hand. <laughs> it's very much how it felt for me. Why don't you tell us about your experience? Sure. So I identify as biracial Japanese American. My mom is Japanese American. My dad is white Jewish. 
born and raised in New York City. Um, so there's kind of an added piece when I look at my identity around the religious aspect, because even though my dad is white, I always felt very culturally Jewish. My mom converted when they got married. So that was always a, a big part of how I identified. And on my mom's side of the family, my grandparents and my mom were actually both born in the United States. So, you know, no living relatives that ever lived in Japan so I think a big part of my identity, kind of similarly to Christie's, was this very much kind of Americanized feeling and what it means to sort of look a certain way or present a certain way and not always feel so culturally connected to those parts of yourself. Um, and one thing that I think made a really big impact on my family was the remnants of living through Japanese internment in the United States. My grandparents all my great aunts and uncles and my great grandparents were all interned during the war. And so even though they were kind of born and raised in the U.S. American citizens, there was very much this feeling of being an outsider. And kind of similarly to Christy, my mom's side of the family all lived in Wisconsin. So very, very white space. And I think they, too, carried a lot of these feelings around being like the only Asian family in town or being Japanese American right after World War II and a lot of bias and prejudice that came with that. So when I think about my identity now and feeling a lot more affirmed and kind of connected to what it means to be Japanese American, there's this added piece of being biracial and how there was always kind of a negotiation on that. I think I work with a lot of biracial folks and, you know, some of my closest friends that I found in adulthood also identify as being biracial because I think there's this really common experience of never really feeling like you fully belong into either community. So I would go to synagogue and I would be the only non-white person in the whole synagogue. People were always asking me, were you adopted? Kind of this real sense of you look this way. And so you're not, you can't kind of naturally be a part of this community. Something that we don't understand or know about must have happened. And then also among the very few Asian folks that went to my school, but many of them were either first generation themselves or had first generation parents and were identified as being full API. So I think there was also the sense of, of never really feeling fully enmeshed in that community. And so similarly to Christy, I think for a lot of my childhood, I felt like I should kill or suppress the Asian part of myself. And that is the way that you find acceptance in the way that you fit in. And it wasn't really until I think I went to college and I started finding myself in more spaces with people of color, finding myself around more Asian identified folks that I really explored or looked at the impact of being in such a white space and, and how much that affected me as a kid growing up. Sounds like there was a lot of similarities. And even though people kind of put stuff on you or tried to place you in different ways or try to understand like how you made sense with them, yeah, I think it's interesting because that feels right. And one thing that is something that comes up a lot in my work with biracial folks or even transracial adoptees is the sense of the parents, I think, often feel, you know, we're accepting and we're progressive and having a biracial child or a child that's not the same race as us is okay because we will accept them as the family unit, but there isn't necessarily a lot of preparation for the way that your community might experience you or the way that the people in my town, I think often felt. So even though my parents, you know, moved to this place and figured it'll be okay because we are okay with this and it feels okay for us. There was a lot that I think felt now when I look back on it, I feel like I wasn't fully prepared for or didn't really have a firm understanding of because 
of the way that my community, I think, experienced me or often did or didn't put things on me and, and the ways in which I think, you know, you learn certain things to try to fit in to just survive in the space that you're in. Yeah, just hearing both of your experiences and knowing my own, it just makes me realize like why Bridges is so important because even between just three of us, we have such different upbringings and experiences of being Asian, of being American. And so I guess to go into it, I grew up in New York. I was born in Queens and my parents were part of the diaspora that came to the United States in like the 60s and 70s from Taiwan. And during that time, they had actually reopened immigration to East Asians. It had been closed for a very long time. And during that time, it was open to people with advanced degrees or were pursuing advanced degrees. So a lot of the people that came during the 60s and 70s were here for their PhDs or graduate degrees. And my mother's brothers had come over for that reason. And then she was able to apply for citizenship and father came over with her and they settled in Flushing, which is like kind of the center of the immigration at the time for a lot of Taiwanese people. And so I grew up in a mixture of Queens, mostly Long Island, with a fair amount of like Asian peers. You know, there was a mixture of people who are Korean, Japanese, and Chinese, and Taiwanese. And I think for me growing up, I was just so strongly aware that I was Taiwanese and not Chinese because of my parents. And it didn't even strike me as strange, but people would always ask, you know, growing up, like, are you Korean? Are you Japanese? Are you Chinese? And I'd say like, no, I'm Taiwanese. And nobody would know what that was. So I always felt different in that sense. Like, oh, I'm not one of the recognized (laughs) groups of Asian people, but there were a lot of Asian people to the, to the extent that people were aware of this. So I think that was a different experience. I felt othered, but othered in a different way. And I grew up in Long Island going to a school that was predominantly Jewish. So that's kind of interesting, Mm -hmm. Sam, like that thread there. And I felt out of place and always associated white people with being Jewish. Oh, how interesting. That's a very New York experience. I would say, I don't think you get that much else in the world. (laughs) So yeah. And I always felt left out during, I mean, I bought mitzvahs and all the Jewish holidays. I feel like oh, this is something that I don't have. And um, not a lot of people celebrated Christmas at my school. Like there were a few people. And it was a very unique experience to go to school in a wealthy suburb where a lot of people were Jewish and had this very strong community. And I had kind of what I think is a typical experience for someone who's like a second generation growing up in the New York area. Like my parents were you know, putting us in Chinese school when we were young. Of course, it was only one day a week for two hours at a time. So it wasn't that we ever got to a point of fluency, but we did have contact with other kids our age, you know, learning, going through similar um, sort of acculturation experiences. Um, I even remember during the summers, we would be uh, forced. I I called it forced because I didn't want to go, but we'd go to Chinese camp and it was one week and it would be not, I mean, it was a mixture of camp activities, but also like cultural learnings, taking Chinese, putting on some sort of play, doing Chinese dance, um, some sort of martial arts. And I think that was really helpful because I did meet other people that I became close with. 
And I always knew there was a group out there that I could be my full self with, even if I didn't know that's what I was experiencing at the time. Because I do think even though there were other Asian kids around me, I didn't necessarily feel that connected with them because in my school, there was a segment of Asian students that were third or fourth generation and all their parents were really close and played mahjong every weekend together and all spoke perfect English. So I always felt a little bit out of place. My parents don't speak fluent English. And then here we have this group of Asians who are like, they're really cool. You know, they've made their own identity, but they speak English and they feel at ease. And I just felt a little bit out of place all the time because there weren't a lot of other people like me at my school at that time. And the ones that did speak fluently were more like what we would disparagingly call fobs, right? At the time, it was like, oh, people who just moved over don't speak a lot of English. And there was like a clear divide between that and the the other type of Asian American. So I think I was very familiar with the Asian American identity because so many people at my school that were Asian were very much American and identified as such. So I think I got like a good spread of the types of Asians there were at my school. And I would say that today, I'm really thankful that I had that experience. And it took a while before I really became comfortable in my own identity. And I think being in New York really helped with that because I was increasingly like able to spend time with lots of different people and realizing that a lot of people are going through the same experience. And so when it comes to the clients that I see now and with Bridges, I definitely do get a lot of second generation Chinese, Taiwanese, but also like biracial and some also Korean expats. So I feel like there is such a diversity in everybody's experience. And, you know, working with different people has allowed me to continue to work through my own experience and um, remember, oh, I did feel like that, you know, back then. And yeah, that's a familiar experience. And it feels really nice to be able to understand someone's challenge and create the space for them to give it words because a lot of times the experience is so hard to articulate, but I feel like sometimes I just know what they're experiencing and it's just easy in a way. And hearing you kind of talk about your experience with your clients and sort of seeing threads that feel similar that we identify with the ways in which that can really continue to prompt our own therapeutic growth. But even in hearing all of our stories about this really consistent thread of feeling like outsiders within our communities. And I think that that plays to the ways which I think many Asian identified folks feel around this idea that being Asian is somehow antithetical to being American, or those two things can't exist at the same time. One thing that's been a really major part of my own work is realizing that you don't necessarily have to choose, even though it often feels like it's sort of given to you as a choice of like, you can be this, or you can be this other thing that's outside of it. I do recall one experience of the first time I felt what the comfort is of being in a space where people just understand was working with a group that was like an Asian employee resource group. And I don't know, there was this sense of ease that I felt that I had not felt in the other spaces where I did work in marketing and in the corporate world that I I just felt like I could just breathe. And there was this ease. I don't know how to explain it, but it made me realize, oh, it's because I just feel fully comfortable. The only difference is that everybody here is Asian. So that was a moment for me. Yeah, I think there, it kind of reminded me of an experience I had just a couple of weeks ago where I was at 
a Japanese restaurant with my partner and the sushi chef was Japanese and we were sitting at the bar and he asked me if I was Japanese and how, you know, I don't speak Japanese barely at all. Like I said earlier, I'm like third generation Japanese American. And yet there was such a moment of kind of pride and comfort that this person could see me and saw me in this way where I think a big part of my work has sort of been accepting that I am Japanese enough, American enough, whatever that means for myself. And that, yeah, how much comfort can come in sort of having that community or that familiarity or even just like being recognized. Even within the Asian community, there can be so much distinction and desire for distinction, um, which can be a negative thing. But if we're able to imagine and have these moments of connection, it helps bring us together in the sense that we all have these experiences, right? Like of feeling separate, of feeling other. And at the same time, they're all common, a shared experience that we all have, no matter what sort of Asian we are, whether we're more Americanized or more Asian or somewhere in the middle. It's interesting because when we were starting Bridges and I was actually talking to my own therapist about this, she sort of questioned a little bit this idea of like, well, what is Asian American? Or like, there's such a huge diaspora in the Asian community. And that is true. You know, it it can, I understand for many folks feel kind of reductive to think that by calling ourselves Asian American or talking about an Asian American experience, where it's somehow saying that all these cultures or these places are the same. And yet I think there is a kind of universality in the experience of what it means to be an Asian, South Asian, Pacific Islander person living in a country where you're sort of lumped together and what it can do for a community to kind of use that as a sense of connection and banding together and then sort of fighting for our sense of empowerment, whatever that may be. Yeah, and that it's it's both. And knowing too, as we come to a close of this episode, that we are only sharing three specific stories of our own, but hopefully the more specific we get, the more actually universal it feels. And also knowing that we would love to have more voices on this podcast and learning about all the different stories across the diaspora. So write to us, find us on Instagram at Bridges Mental Health, and we'll be back soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.